Went further to indicate that once you get past the threshold portion, 
there are you still in order to have uh, you know in order to invoke the exemption, there must be uh, you might you must fall into one of the delineated subsets. In this case, the uh, agency specifies exemption seven e. And, and the important part to note about Exemption 7E is that the language for investigations and prosecutions is still there in Exemption 7E. So, so it, it, we put this in our, our reply brief. There, there, there's this type of kind of Venn diagram where, where certainly if you get in through the, the first part, and, and, and this is you know, more or less what Justice Alito was referring to in, in, in Milner, that this idea of prevention that goes beyond Exemption 7 itself can be broader than simply something of an investigation or prosecution. So your argument then is that the specific provision in which um, the IRS is invoking that specific language does not include prevention. When you get to the more specific, prevention is not something that's, uh, that the, uh, the IRS can use to protect its data. Well, <clears throat> so at the, at the first point, there's the prevention analysis, or this prevention is included. When you get to 7E, um, I'm not going to sit here and say that there are no situations where prevention could coincide with an investigation or a prosecution. I think if you look at Justice Leader's analysis in Milner, those would, be, would tend to be rare. Um, I, I wouldn't say that they would be uh, you know, non-existent, but <laughs> there is certainly a dichotomy between investigations and prosecutions on the one hand and uh, prevention on the other hand. And in fact, Justice Alito, uh, Justice Alito in explaining the nature of prevention, um, juxtaposes particular uh, situations where he's talking about the preventative law enforcement nature with what would with, with contrasting it with what would be investigation. Like, for example, a beat cop on the beat where, where he's preventing a crime, but it has nothing to do with an investigation. I think the reason why I ask well, the reason why I ask is because the the prevention here is obvious, um, which is to say I don't we, you know the district court didn't conduct any in camera review. We don't have access to what's in that IRS manual. But the fact of the matter is, let's suppose it says, for example, the redacted portion says when a taxpayer representative calls, you need to have uh, the city of birth of of the either the tax preparer or the or the taxpayer, probably the taxpayer. Um, at that point, then a person interested in identity theft would just go obtain on the internet uh, the taxpayer's place of birth. In which case, um, letting out what the what the IRS is going to be asking, uh, you know, um, not only uh, basically takes away its preventative purpose. And I want to hear your response to that. Sure. Um, let me take a step back there. So I, I think there are two points that are that are important to note in your question. I mean, the, the one is that um, certainly we don't know exactly what's in the redacted materials. Um, I think to, to the extent, so, so, so the one thing the district court found that had, was the, the portions that are unredacted, the, the, the items that are in the record factually are an administrative process that, that really would not be considered an investigative tool. But the idea is here in the IRS in points, and as your question suggests, that the redactions deal with these specialty circumstances and that there's some type of a unique um, nature to the techniques or procedures that are, that are in these redactions. Um, there two points there. I mean, one, obviously there's an inf informational asymmetry to uh, 
Professor Fogg and, and to the IRS. We, we don't really know what's in there. And th this case, in, in very large part, turns on the actual content of the redactions. And as we've mentioned in our brief, and as you somewhat alluded to, <clears throat> the fact that the district court did not do an, an in-camera review, and then in fact that it did not consider certain um, uh, certain factors that it, it should be required to consider in, review, or in, in, in determining not to do an in-camera review. One of those is, uh, you know, whether the nature of the uh, redactions are actually more or less determinative of the act of the outcome of the case. Um, another one would be the fact that the segregability analysis here is, is something that um, that was left, you know, largely uh, not silent in the, in the affidavit, and that goes to exactly. But one last question uh, for you: um, If prevention, the reason, another reason why I'm asking the prevention questions is because arguably. Whatever techniques that the uh, that the IRS is using to try to determine whether the taxpayer's representative is who he or she, she says um, they were, um, that could be part of an investigation. And I wonder why it's not broad enough to just go under the plain language of an investigation. In other words, I'm using these techniques because somebody's calling on the phone to investigate whether or not I should release confidential information because I don't know who, who this person is, and I need to investigate and figure out whether they are who they report to be so I can release the information. What's wrong with that analysis? Well, I, I, I think if you, if you take a step back for a moment and, and, and you look at the nature of 21.3.3 and what we know about um, you know, what hasn't been redacted, the, it, it would seem that the... Everything, every contextual clue is that, that, that the things in, in the redactions are an administrative process, that, that they do look to confirm or deny the identity of the, of the person calling, and that the techniques or procedures are essentially you know, the same, that they're, they're using certain information that they're asking the caller about, and, and they're cross-referencing <laughs> They're not necessarily different or special in nature. Than the other than the parts that that are are in the rest of twenty one point three point three, um, I think to to your point, you know, is that an investigation? I, at some point, the IRS uh, person who the customer, and in fact, it's it's not an agent here; it's it's a customer service representative um, that that that's in it doing this initial uh, you know screening. It, maybe it does become an investigation, but that that, that would be referred to a different. You know, portion. I, I think. Uh, so it, what, is, is there any evidence in the record that that does occur? That there, that the customer service agents forward these to the law enforcement wing for criminal investigation? Um, certainly, in the IRM, uh, and I believe that this is in our brief. That, that, that there are uh, points when, uh, not just the customer service representative, but you know, potentially anybody at the IRS that, that comes into contact with, with what they would flag as a potential crime would be referring it to the somebody in the investigative uh, wing. Yes, and, and that I think I would refer to the, the portion that discussed civil and criminal investigations in our, in our brief. Um, it, it, there is a particular procedure in the IRM how those are referred. You know, that well, referred. So why isn't it enough that, that the redacted portions apply to special situations, in other words, when there's red flags, and that um, referrals for criminal investigation can occur as a result of 
a red flag or a, um, a problem as a result of these redacted procedures? Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't quite get the, the end of your question. Um, but I think to, to the, the point is, one part is that we don't exactly know what the special circumstances situations that they're referring to. I mean, you're saying that they're, they're, they're flat. Well, I, mean, that, I mean, that's always the case in these, or often the case in FOIA uh, litigation, right? And it's based on the government's declaration here. And as I understand it, you can see that in some cases it is forward to law enforcement, the results of these special procedures. Or am I misstating but, your position? I, I think you may be misstating it slightly. Potentially, this, I think even in the non-quote special circumstances, it's possible that if they identify somebody who is not who they purport to be, that it would be referred to law enforcement. Um, I, I, I would support, submit that that doesn't necessarily mean that, that a standard administrative proceeding is itself a, uh, a, a tool or a, a, a technique or procedure of, of a law enforcement investigation, but rather that... that as the Cox or Hawks case might suggest, um, that uh, you know that, that that it actually uh, is just because there's an administrative procedure that subsequently forwards something to or becomes relevant, that doesn't change the the nature of it um, necessarily, and certainly it doesn't transform it to a procedure. I, I'm sorry, just just one one point, um, Your Honors. Uh, previously during the the test session, I, I had um, reserved two minutes for rebuttal, and I, I believe the um, eating into that. Mr. Rogers, you are into rebuttal time. You can save the rest for rebuttal if you'd like. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Uh, Ms. Bradley, you may proceed. Good morning, Your Honors. May it please the court. The district court here correctly held that the IRS demonstrated through the affidavit of Ms. Barnes, that the IRS demonstrated that Exemption 7E applies to the Internal Revenue Manual provision here, um, dealing with third-party authentication. I don't think there's any dispute in this case um, that the appellant uh, doesn't agree that identity theft, related fraud, and the unlawful disclosure of tax return information have been a serious problem um, for, for not only the IRS, but for, for other businesses here. Um, Ms. Ms. Bradley, let me ask you, you mentioned the Barnes affidavit, and I know the IRS relies heavily on that affidavit in this case. Uh, that affidavit states that the entire IRM was compiled for law enforcement purposes because the uh, IRS is a law enforcement agency. Uh, if this court adopted that view, it would make every internal document of the IRS subject to being withheld from the public under Exemption 7. Doesn't that uh, show that the agency's interpretation is wrong? Um, no, Your Honor, I don't believe so. I think there's no dispute that the IRS um, has both administrative and law enforcement um, functions. And as Judge Alito said in the Milner, his concurrence there, that, that doesn't preclude the IRS from exempting um, materials that it determines has 
a law enforcement purpose or as a technique and procedure to help them weed out criminal activities such as identity theft and related fraud. Um, I don't think the IRS. I, I, I certainly respect Justice Alito, and uh, but what I want to look at is the actual text of the exemption and. I certainly understand why you would want to keep this information from public disclosure. Uh, I think it seems rather obvious that it shouldn't be disclosed, but the trouble I'm having is any finding any textually defensible way to, to cram this into Exemption 7. Well, we, we think the district court correctly held without trying to cram it into the exemption that it applies. Again, there seems to be no dispute from Professor Fogg that identity theft and the unlawful dissemination of one of his clients' taxpayers' information um, is, is, is a serious problem. And here, the Internal Revenue Manual provision, in large part, is publicly available. It's only those specific portions, as was previously referred to, that gets to those kind of unique situations where a call center IRS employee, you know, some red flags are going up and as the gatekeeper of the taxpayer's information, you know, we don't want to violate that. And in those specific situations, which may not even necessarily be the norm, um, I guess if the call's going fine and all of the information is forthcoming and there's no suspicion of any sort of nefarious um, behavior on the part of the caller, we, we, we may not even get to those additional questions. Counsel, um, uh, Judge Kobus here, going back to one of Judge Strauss's questions, um, it seems clear to me at least that this serves a preventative function. I think the more difficult question for me is linking that preventative function to the text of 7E, and that is disclosing techniques and procedures for law enforcement investigations or prosecutions. So can you explain to me the government's position on, uh, I understand preventative. I mean, you call into your credit card company, um, they're going to they're gonna do similar procedures, some of which are probably confidential. And if, if you fail those, you may get referred to the fraud department for investigation. That's my question here. With the IRS, how do you link what's clearly to me a preventative undertaking by the IRS to the text of 7E? The way I would link it, and this was referred to, I believe it's paragraph 23 of Ms. Barnes' declaration that specifically states that in situations, again, when the call center thinks that something's amiss, um, that someone's trying to uh, obtain a taxpayer's private information. In those specific situations, the call center can forward that to the criminal investigation uh, division of the IRS, which in indisputably serves a, a law enforcement function. Again, the provision here is really trying to protect not only the taxpayer, but any third party um, authenticator, like a power of attorney. I mean, we, we don't want somebody to have, have gotten a power of attorney's information and then, you know, called and tried to, 
you know, use that to obtain information that they're, they're not entitled to. But again, that's the preventative function. I, and I think that I agree with that entirely, um, that the policies in place, I think as Judge Graz indicated, um, you know, are problematic. It's, it's linking it to the 7E, at least speaking in my part, that's the really challenging question here. Uh, I mean, I think what the IRS does to protect taxpayers is good public policy, not that it's really my business, but um, um, uh, the tougher question is getting it in the tax of 7E, I think. Counselor, is there some other exemption that, that should be applied here? How, how does the agency keep its uh, passwords secret, for example? Passwords pertaining to what? Yeah, entry into your computer systems. Uh, quite frankly, I don't know the answer to that question. Well, you know, to, to, to get back to Judge Kobus's point, um, are these redacted procedures, which we don't know what they are, are they actually used again by law enforcement when the investigation happens, or are they limited to the customer service reps when they call in? I'm not asking whether the customer service reps advance the answers or the results of them to the investigators. I'm asking whether the investigators use some of those procedures during a fraud investigation to question uh, somebody who reports to be the taxpayer or taxpayer's representative? I don't really think I, I know exactly what the criminal investigation uh, division would do in the circumstance that a call center forwards the information, but I would assume the criminal investigation division would want to know what information the caller, the third party provided to the IRS, you know, be it their CAF number, their power of attorney number, you know, address, uh, social security number. I think all of that information would definitely come into play for purposes of an investigation. And, you see where I'm asking a correct question because it says um, it says law enforcement records or information, and then it says would disclose techniques and procedures for law enforcement investigations or prosecutions. And and the best way to meet now, I'm not saying that the, the IRS hasn't met that requirement, but what I am saying is it would be more of a slam dunk if those redacted procedures were actually used by law enforcement in further communications uh, with with the taxpayer. Unfortunately, that specific information I'm not aware is in the record. And again, case law have held that law enforcement isn't so narrow. It, it is more broadly encompassing where when the call is put in that the call center is developing leads and taking proactive steps to prevent any sort of a crime. And there's been several cases, um, I believe, in the D.C. Circuit, um, the one being public employees for environmental responsibility, where, again, a court has held, a court of appeals has held that Exemption 7E applies to plans, you know, to prevent dam, uh, prevent attacks on IRS dams, that, that it's preventative purpose, that it's not... It's not actually an investigation. That that requirement was eliminated as part of the FOIA 1986 amendments. But again, again counsel, that, I think that if you uh, look at Justice Alito's reasoning, that gets you past the law enforcement purposes portion. But I don't see how the 
answers the question of investigations and prosecution. It's kind of a two-step process. I understand, but again, I think that law enforcement techniques and procedures are more broadly encompassing, just as Judge Alito referenced, just a regular cop on his beat um, or proactive steps by the Secret Service. Those those type of, of actions or procedures are do fall within Exemption 70's second requirement. And here I think there can be no dispute that the IRS with these special procedures that are used, again, in, in, in those situations where someone at the call center's radar goes up that something amiss, um, that's only when they come into play. And again, now, the- I wanna, I wanna ask you, um, I wanna go back and it, it relates directly to that. Well, Judge Graz asked you a question um, and that I wasn't, you know, I, wasn't, I didn't see this in the record at, at first glance, but it raises red flags for me. If the IRS, if the affidavit is being used, if the IRS is saying that everything, even those unredacted portions, are part of the law enforcement investigation or procedures, um, that suggests to me that we should remand for in-camera review um, because that, that can't be. You admitted at the beginning of your argument that part of what the, what is, what the IRS does is administrative and part of it is enforcement. I've seen the IRM enough to know that part of it is administrative. So if the IRS's position is that everything's law enforcement, that indicates to me that we cannot trust the IRS to make this determination. What's wrong with that reasoning? I don't think I don't think the IRS is taking the position that everything in that provision is law enforcement. The vast the county, majority. Counsel, you submitted the affidavit of Barnes, and that's paragraph twenty-nine of that affidavit. And again, the only reason a court would conduct an in-camera review is if the IRS affidavit was, um, if there was some suspicion of bad faith on the part of the agency. Here, I don't think there's any evidence, as the district court found, that there was any sort of bad faith on the IRS. I think I this. I mean, even if we said that, I would submit it's got to be broader. If the IRS is, is operating under the assumption that everything is law enforcement, like 100 percent of it, um, that would be a good reason to remand because we wouldn't be able to trust the judgment of the person submitting the affidavit. There may not be bad faith. You may honestly believe that, but it certainly colors whether we can trust what that person says. As I would refer back to again, the only reason that an in-camera inspection would occur is that for some reason the agency's justification for withholding the information um, demonstrates that it doesn't logically fall in here. The IRS, again, when it was when that provision first came out, the IRS appear. appear regularly reviews its IRM provisions to make sure that what it can disclose, it does disclose. Counsel, Again, uh, switching gears a little bit, is the, would you call the IRS simply a law enforcement agency or a mixed purpose agency? I think the IRS is a mixed purpose agency. Well, uh, and I, I tend to agree, but the 
declaration, again, in paragraph 29 says the IRS, comma, a law enforcement agency. So piggybacking what Judge Strauss said, doesn't that reflect another kind of legal error on the face of the declaration that the district court relied on? Now, it doesn't say exclusively, but the, the, the assumption here appears to be that the entire IRS is a law enforcement agency, which I think you and I agree is not accurate. I think, again, this provision of the uh, paragraph 29 is just trying to demonstrate that that provision has law enforcement um, applicability. And I think, again, there's, there's no dispute here that we're trying to protect taxpayers and their power of attorneys from disclosing information to them. We're actually trying to protect the taxpayer and the power of attorney. There are There is an exclusion for that if the taxpayer is either, I believe, in the room with the third party as they're calling in or on the phone. In those situations, the IRS can be assured that, in fact, you know, there isn't, there isn't any monkey business going on that the taxpayer has, in fact, authorized the third party to receive their information. So Council, in this situation... Your time's expiring, but I do have one, one last question, if I could. It seems to me this entire situation could have been prevented had the agency kept the sensitive information in an interagency memorandum under Exemption 5 rather than printing it in the IRM. And they would... We wouldn't be here today. Unfortunately, I can't speak to the other exemption, but I think the district court here did an exhaustive examination of the IRM exemption 7E. And here again, the government maintains the district court correctly held that the redacted provisions were for compiled for law enforcement and do in fact have techniques and procedures to be able to proactively weed out um, any sort of mischief on behalf of a caller and that in this situation there was no need for in-camera review again as this court has previously long ago held um, you know in camera is really not the open judicial form forum where all of the uh uh, information is is available to both sides, that it's reserved for those specific instances where there's some bad faith. And here again, we we believe that the district court properly determined that there was no bad faith. All right, thank you, Ms. Bradley. How much uh, time does Mr. Rogers have for rebuttal? Oh, okay. You have a minute and 30. Thank you, Your Honor. Uh, I, I would just uh, keep this quick to, to uh, two or three three points. The, the, the first, when we're talking about um, in-camera review and um, agency bad faith, bad faith doesn't necessarily mean that IRS was a bad, bad actor or a bad person. It means that the characterization of the redacted material, at least in part, could mean that the characterization of the redacted material is contrary to the context of the 21.3.3 um, procedure. In other words, that everything else points to it being simply an administrative process, but the IRS is saying there's these special circumstances that bring it under 7E specifically. 
And I, I think one point that um, my opposing counsel made when asked what procedures or techniques that law enforcement, when it's referred to, would, would, would they still use? She, she cited um, that they would be interested in the CAF number, the social security number, and the address. I think one notable point there is that all three of those things are actually addressed in the unredacted portions. So it, it does beg the question exactly what the distinction between the redactions and the unredactions are, what type of special circumstances. And I think this is the type of extraordinary situation where in-camera review um, would be warranted, particularly given the fact that it largely turns on a, very, a small handful of paragraphs in in, in, in these uh, in these redactions. I'm not talking about a thousand pages here. Thank you, Your Honor. All right, thank you. Uh, thanks to both counsel. It's a very uh, interesting case and was well argued. And uh, case number 21-2502 is submitted for decision by the court.